There's a man by the name of R.A. Torrey, a great man of God of yesteryears. But when Torrey was a young man, he had no faith in God. He had no faith in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, he was hostile to the gospel. As a young man, his mother, who was a godly woman, who prayed for him on a regular basis, tried as gently as possible to witness to him. But finally, he got tired of his mother's prayer and his mother's witness. And he said to her, he said, I'm sick and tired of hearing about my sins and your prayers. I'm out of here so that I can't be bothered anymore with this God of yours anymore. With tear-filled eyes and a broken heart that only a mother can understand, the mother followed him to the gate and she pleaded with him to change his mind. She pleaded with him to come return back home. But he would not be detracted. And she finally, frantically, she called out as he was walking out and she said, Son, you're going the wrong way. But when you come to the end of your rope and everything seem hopeless, call upon your mother's God and he will surely help you. As some time passed since that moment and Tori left home and was living alone and continued deeper into his waywardness. One night he was in a hotel room unable to sleep. He was weary. He was exhausted. He was tired. He was of all the problems that were pressing upon him from every direction, everywhere he turned, he saw no hope. And finally he reached to a gun that he kept with him. And he was about to end it all. And right at that moment, he remembered the words of his mother saying to him, when you come to the end of your rope and everything seemed to be helpless, call upon your mother's God and he will surely help you. And Tori went on his knees And he cried out to God and he said, Oh, God of my mother, if there is such a being, I need your help. And if you help me, I will follow you for the rest of my life. And God used R.A. Torrey to lead thousands upon thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ. Why am I telling you this story? Simply is this. It manifests one of the great truths in the scripture. That in the very darkest hour, in the darkest spot of life, when you cry up to the Lord, the Lord will show you where the switch is. It is often at the deepest moment of despair. When you cry out to God out of desperation, He will illumine your way. It is often in the times of utter helplessness. Cry to God and God will help you. It is often in the depths of brokenness in life. When we cry out to God, He brings you healing. It is often at the height of desperation. We call upon the Lord, He comes in and begins to act. It is this incongruous fact that's in the scripture. That is declared here in the book of Hosea chapter 2 verse 15. Turn to it with me please. If you have your Bibles to the book of Hosea. We have started a series of messages from the book of Hosea. And we began to see how this man of God. This prophet of God. That's called of God. To speak to a generation that is not unlike our generation. To speak to a culture that is not unlike our culture. How this man of God is called of God to experience pain and brokenness in his life for the first hand. 
So that he can sense the heart of God. So he can understand how God feels. And there are commonalities between his time and ours. And what God was putting Hosea through, he was saying to him, by you experiencing unfaithfulness on the part of your wife, you understand how I feel about my people who pay me a lip service. Now you understand how I feel when my people, whom I blessed so richly, act with indifference toward me. Now you can feel and understand how I, God, feels when my people who receive all of my blessings and then they turn their attention from me and they place their security on the blessings. They place their confidence on the blessings instead of the blesser. Now you understand how I feel. And so Hosea marries a woman by the name of Gomer just as God married to Israel. It's a figure of speech, of course. It's a figurative language, but you understand it. Goma turned out to be an unfaithful wife, running after other men, just like the people of Israel turned out to be unfaithful people, running after the gods of Canaan, the god named Baal and Ashtar. And Goma had three illegitimate children, one named Jezreel, Judgment, Every name has a meaning. And then has a daughter. God said, call her Laura Hama. I will have no mercy. Then a third one came and God said, call her Lo Amy. Not my people. And every one of those has a meaning and has a significance. God is about to judge Israel. God is not going to have mercy upon Israel. God is going to call Israel not my people anymore. And then you come into Hosea chapter 2. And there you find that despite of the urgency, despite of the desperation, despite of the depth that Israel had sunk into, God still stretching out his arms and saying, if you repent, I will forgive you. God stretching out his loving hand and he is treating in the words of Hosea who's asking his children to entreat his wife Gomer to come back, to turn back from her adultery, to turn back from her sin, to turn back from her rebellion. And as if God is saying to Israel, you too can prevent the judgment by coming to me. You too can invoke my mercy once again. You too can plead for my grace once again. You too can come to me in repentance and faith and I will forgive you. In fact, all of that message is summarized in verse 15. That the valley of Achor become the door of hope. What is this valley of Achor? I'm sure some of you are asking and I'm delighted that you are because I'm very anxious to tell you. The valley of Achor to Israel, and I was trying to really think of something that I can make it relevant for you today so you can understand it in in modern terms. And I really couldn't think of a perfect example, but the closest I can get is Pearl Harbor. You cannot help but think of the horror of that place and what happened on that day. Pearl Harbor conjures violence and, and conjures suffering and all kinds of pain. The valley of Achor to Israel was like that, far greater, of course. Why? What happened there? When the people of God came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, up to their waste in mud making bricks, 
And God saved them out of that slavery, took them first in the desert, and because of the lack of faith, they wandered around for 40 years. And then Moses dies, Joshua comes in, and God uses Joshua to take the people of God into the promised land. And when they came into the promised land, what happened? There was a border town by the name of Jericho. And that border town was so fortified. It had fortresses. It has high walls. Nobody has ever penetrated Jericho before. But God said, I am going to help you take over this town supernaturally, miraculously. With my own power, you're going to move in. And they do. They shout and the wall falls. And they go in and they take over Jericho. God said, oh, by the way, before you go in, I want to tell you something. The spoils are not yours. Whenever you see the spoils in that city of Jericho, don't touch it. It is sacred unto the Lord. Don't do anything with that. Don't let anybody touch it. It is not yours. It's the injunction of God. It's the command of God. But when they got into town, what happened? There was a man there by the name of Achan, son of Carmi. He got into town and then he saw a bunch of gold. And he saw them shining in the sun. And then he saw a bunch of other treasures and he said, man alive. I mean, he was drooling. And he looked around. He looked, nobody was looking. He went out again in the tent and nobody can see a thing. He said, nobody can see me. All this stuff where I can really be retired for life now. Isn't that great? I don't have to work anymore. I mean, this is a lottery of all lotteries. <laughs> so he takes the stuff. Nobody saw him. And he hid it in his tent. He forgot about the eye in the sky. That's watching him. You see, when you're all alone and nobody can see you, God can see you. In the very privacy of your own heart, when you think nobody knows, God knows. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows your words before you speak them. So what happened? The people of God go from this huge town that they took in a supernatural, miraculous way into a tiny little town called Ai. By the way, do not try to pronounce it the way I do. You'll get tonsillitis. <laughs> it's spelled A-I. Tiny little town, just the way it's spelled. Small as, as the letters in it. Only a few hundred people. And the people of God go in there and they get absolutely decimated. Hundreds of them, hundreds of them die. Hundreds of them. The people of Ai decimated the people of Israel. And Joshua, the prophet of God, went up, ripped his clothes, and he said, God, what is happening here? How you brought us here to kill us? And God says, oh, Joshua. Joshua, my friend, had you prayed to me, I would have revealed to you earlier that there is a sin in the camp. There's a sin in the camp. One man on your team has been unfaithful to me. He has broken my injunction. He has broken my commandment. You say, what I do matters, you better believe it. You cannot do anything without God is watching you, number one. Number two, sin always followed by trouble. It may take a long time, but it's always trailing. Trouble always trailing sin. So what happened? Joshua cries to God and repents, calls the people to repentance. Then Achan, the son of Carmi, is put in that valley of Achor. And he and his children get stoned to death. You say, that's horrible. That's disgusting. Well, I agree with you. So it is when the knife of a surgeon cut the tumor, the cancerous tumor out of a body. It's painful too. Sin either had to be drastically dealt with or it's going to deal a blow to God's people. 
I want to stop here and tell you something vitally important. You cannot be unfaithful to the Lord. You cannot lower your own spiritual temperature without affecting yourself. You cannot be unfaithful to the Lord. You cannot lower your own spiritual temperature without affecting your family. You cannot be unfaithful to the Lord. You cannot lower your own spiritual temperature without affecting the whole body of Christ. Somebody would say, wait a minute. It's my life. And I do what I want with it. No, it isn't. If you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the Bible said you are not your own. You are bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. And when you belong to God's family, you've got to live by the rules of the head of the household. And from the time of Joshua on, that valley of Achor conjures horror in the mind of the Israelites. It came to represent disobedience. It came to represent hopelessness of sin. It came to represent the trouble and the judgment that always follow sin. In fact, the word achor means troubling. That's what really what it means. What God is saying through Hosea to the entire nation of Israel who turned their back on God. Listen to what he's saying to them. He's saying, your unfaithfulness is bringing you trouble. Your unfaithfulness and your lack of commitment to me, the only God of the universe, is bringing you judgment. Your unfaithfulness is bringing you hopelessness and pain. And I'm pleading with you now so that when it comes, it is not too late. Your faithfulness is bringing you times of desperation. It might not look like it now, but it is coming. What God is saying, listen... At the lowest point of desperation and helplessness, at the very middle of the valley of Achor, God is still ready to give hope and forgiveness. And when Gomer says, I will rise and go back to my husband, God is saying at that point, hope will shine again. And when Goma says, I will go back to my husband, a door of hope will open up again. When Goma repents of her sin, regardless of how low she had sunk, God is going to give them a door of hope again. What God is saying is this, that when Israel acknowledges Jehovah alone to be their God, God will save them. When Israel stops flirting with Baal, flirting with the gods of the Canaanites, God is going to withhold judgment. When Israel repents of ignoring God, God is going to bless them again. Are you ready to hear something that's from me, not from the Word of God? I'm not going to give you chapter or verse. I always make a difference and a distinction between my own thinking and my own feelings and when the Word of God said it. I'm going to tell you something that some of you are not going to like, but that's all right. I love you anyway. <laughs> Until we as a nation... Repent of believing that it is the administration in Washington or the Congress or the Senate and their economic policy that is blessing us. We are under judgment. And that is why in verse 2, chapter 4, you see God is the only one who blessed us. 
Listen, God blessed this nation, and I know, ask me, He had blessed this nation more and greater than any nation on the face of the earth. You know why? Because the founding fathers made a covenant with God, and we are the generation who are the covenant breaker. And God is saying judgment is around the corner. Your blessing is not from the White House. It's not from the Congress. Your blessing is from me. And cease giving credit for my blessing to the gods of this world. Here in verse 2, 3, and 4 of Hosea chapter 2, Hosea asks his children, he said, please plead with your mother. Just as the prophet himself is pleading with Israel to come back to God, just as you and I who know the Lord and love the Lord are to plead with our fellow countrymen to say, come to God before it is too late. Even in the valley of Achor, I will open a door of hope, says the Lord Jesus of course, this is a, the whole chapter is prophetic about the coming of the Messiah and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who are not called His people now are His people. But the point is still the same, that it is only at the point of desperation when we come to God, He forgives us. Listen, the prodigal son was so cocky, he told his dad basically, in effect, he said, I wish you were dead. Because in the Middle East, you never ask your father to give you your inheritance until he dies. And when he came and asked for his inheritance before his father died, that's exactly what he was saying. I wish you were dead. He was not just indifferent toward his father as we are toward God. He actually hated his father. He wanted out of there. When he got all this cash and he went out and he said, man, now I'm set for life. And then he ended up not eating only the pigs, which it's absolutely unheard of for a Jew. He was eating the food that the pigs were eating. And at that point, he came at the point of desperation. And he said, I go to my father. The father received him with open arm. It is when we repent. It's when we dismiss our pride. It is when we come to humility and heart broken before God that he forgives us. And I want to tell you, we as a nation have not come to that point yet. We have not come to that point yet. But we're getting there fast. And I believe God is going to allow us to come to that point. I can't help but hear the voice of God to be saying to America, America, turn to me. Turn to me. Turn to my word. Stop being hostile to my beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop outlawing him. But somehow I feel that just as Israel did not listen, just as Israel did not repent, and then they immediately after this prophecy, they suffered the horrors, the absolute horrors of the Assyrian exile. Somehow I feel in my bones, we're not going to turn to God in time. In the book of Hosea, chapter 2, verses 5 to 13, I see three things in our culture that we have in common with Hosea's day. Three things that literally leap out of the pages of the scripture. First of all, back then, as it is today, God is marginalized. You don't have to be a great theologian to know that God does not like to be marginalized. God has become irrelevant back then as He is now. The economy and the stock market became the measuring stick for their blessing. And it was doing very well. Back then, as it is today, nature and the worship of nature has replaced the worship of the God, the creator of nature. Back then, as it is today, they were focusing on the astrology. They were focusing on the lining of the star and the reading of the horoscope. All of that has replaced the word of God. 
Back then as it is today, Baal dethroned Yahweh, the God of the universe. Just as the pursuit of happiness is dethroning our God from this culture. Secondly, the second commonality between our culture and Hosea's culture is this. Sex and sexual pleasures have been reigning supreme. Verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2. The influence of Baal upon God's people is it got God's people involved in all kinds of pagan orgies, all kinds of temple prostitutions. And you know what? They thought that this is what life is all about. Back then, as it is now, pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry. And I can't understand all these feminists who, who get to talk about feminists. How can they not understand the degradation that pornography is creating to women in, in our society? There's a silent conspiracy here. I don't understand it. The God of illicit sex is ruling supreme on the television screen. There's a third commonality between our day and Hosea's day. It's in verse 12 and 13. It is syncretism. Now those of you who have heard me long enough to know that I don't use big words very often and I, I try to avoid them. I, I don't know how to pronounce them anyway. I'm a very simple Bible-loving Christian. But I'll use one because that's the only way I can explain it to you. Syncretism. You say, what is syncretism? Syncretism is the mixing and the merging of one religion with the other. You know what? New Age theology is ruling supreme in many churches across America today. And they baptized it and giving it a Christian name. I want to tell you that probably this philosophy is the most flourishing philosophy across the land and across the world. The world over, everywhere you go, you're going to find them the only hostile to Christians. Talk about religion and all the religions of the world. And they receive you with open arms. I think there's more acceptability of religion in the world today and religions than any time in modern history. But mention that you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven and you will be called every name in the book. Now you tell Barbara Walters or Sam Donaldson that they are eternally lost without Jesus Christ and they would call you an extremist. Mention eternal hell to the 85% of those who control the secular media, who by their own admission do not believe in God, but then they will glorify religion. But they hate the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Mention to them that there's only one way to heaven, and it is through Jesus Christ, and they will call you a Yahoo from the dark ages. When our Southern Baptist brethren just voted to affirm biblical mandate for the home, the whole secular media going crazy, calling them extremists and taking us back to the dark ages. What is happening these days is what's happening in the days of Hosea. Watch how the secular media would tear into Reggie White simply because he spoke the truth about sin. He spoke the truth about righteousness. And oh, but they glorified Ted Turner for giving $1 billion as a sacrificial offering to the gods of the environment and the universe. Our day is like the days of Hosea. There are so many people 
who are controlling the media today, who honestly believe that the freedom of speech amendment is for everybody in the nation except for the Christians. I'll tell you, my prayer is, oh God, don't let the judgment that fell upon Israel fall upon us now. But somehow I'm sensing that the Lord to be saying, if I did not spare my chosen people, why would I spare America? The only reason he would spare us is when his people, his people, God is not expecting much from the pagan. When his people come and humble themselves and cry to God, you and I who know better, and if we do know better, we better come here before God in prayer. Calling upon the Lord saying, oh God, from the valley of Achor, let there be a door of hope. Now people are in a daze. It's almost like the days of Noah. And no matter what Noah says, people were just absolutely living for self. Couldn't care less. They didn't think a flood is going to come. And then when it came, it was too late. Let me share this with you as I bring this message to conclusion. Number one, God suffers when his people are unfaithful. What do I mean by God suffers when his children are unfaithful to him? Because his love is different from our love. Very different. You've got to understand that. If a person that I love is untrue to my love, I suffer. Why? Because I lost that love. God does not suffer in the same way as we do. God suffers because the one who ceased to love him is suffering. You see, our love at best has got the self in it somewhere. There's none of that in God's love. You remember when Jesus was going into Golgotha carrying the cross. He saw the women were weeping and he turned to them and he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but for yourselves and for your children. God suffers in our unfaithfulness to him because we suffer in our unfaithfulness to him. Whether we know it or not. Secondly, God cannot tolerate sin. There are whole denominations, whole churches from the pastor all the way down. They believe that God doesn't really care about sin anymore. We're all sinners. They say it doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. The Bible from cover to cover says God does not tolerate sin. Because sin defeats the purpose of love. Those who teach that God does not care about sin. And that he tolerates sin. You know what they are actually saying? They're saying God is not really a lover of our souls. That's what they're saying. Whether they admit it or not. And that is why it is a lie to say that God doesn't care about sin. Because sin hurts us deeply. Because sin blasts and destroys those whom God loves. That is why he cannot tolerate sin and be true to himself. Thirdly. God will always love and plead with sinners to turn to him. God is always anxious to restore a repentant sinner. Again and again, you see it in this chapter, chapter 2 in the book of Hosea. You see it again and again. He's saying to Hosea, go back, go back, go back to Goma. She might return this time. Try again. Keep on loving her. What is God saying? God is telling us something about himself. Even though the woman has sunk so low, God said, go again, go again. Because no one, but no one, but no one can sink so low as to go below the mercies of God. 
What a great God we have. His love reaches as low as sin will take us. He saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. That's our God. God's desire is to restore the repentant sinner. Please hear me right. I'm getting ready to close. As a father and all of you parents understand what I'm going to tell you. It is impossible for us not to forgive our repentant children. How much more our loving Heavenly Father. Even in the Valley of Achor, there is a door of hope. Will you enter it today? Some of you have never come and submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. Some of you did not understand that without Jesus you've had it. Enter into that door that is open for you today while you got the chance. Those of you who know this truth and live and practice this truth... Will you lead others to it today? Will you pray and intercede that our neighbors and our friends and people in our community and our nation will enter into that door of hope before it becomes too late? My precious friends, I poured my heart out to you as faithful as I know how, proclaiming the word of God. But don't judge me by my words. Take the scripture to heart. If you've never invited the Lord Jesus to come into your life, repent and turn to him today. If you have been an indifferent believer, you've just added Jesus' name to the list of your priorities. He's not occupying the center focus. I invite you in Jesus' name to do that today. If you have not begun to intercede for our nation, have not begun to intercede for those who don't know Jesus, I pray that you do that today. Father God, you know our hearts There is no secret that can be kept from you, even though we might keep them from each other. But Father God, I pray that you'll open our hearts to you today. Father God, I pray that in the name and in the power of Jesus, and in the greatness and the strength of his Holy Spirit, our lives be changed at this very moment. That Father God, that we may grow to know you and love you. That we may grow to... Love our neighbors and our friends who don't know you, that we will take the message of hope everywhere you would take us. For, Father, we know that the time is short. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.